We have so much to go over. We're going to go ahead and get started. Actually, before I do, uh, just a couple of announcements. Number one, please continue to be in prayer for the team as they travel back. Um, a, a great time was had by all. The Lord has done many great things um, over in Belgium. And, um, and, the, and the pastor has just asked me to um, remind everyone that tonight, as we do prayer class, it is just a, a time of thanksgiving uh, for everything that he's done and all that he will continue to do over there. Uh, there is no uh, prayer class. We will just have open prayer here. Uh, so we invite you to, to join us um, as we have this time. But continue to be in prayer for them as they, they uh, return uh, for safe travels and that the Lord will just continue to do his work um, when they come back. All right. <clears throat> Lots to go over. So you should have a handout. If you don't, we have a couple of extras here. Um, if you don't want to get up, it will be shown there on the screen. I tried to make this as, as easy as possible today because, again, there is a lot to unpack here. Um, the Lord just had me working through a, a particular scripture in, in, my, in my mind, and, and it was something that was just going over and over and over again, so I began to study it. And, and as I did study it, um, he, he led me down some interesting pathways that I'd like to share with you. Um, today, we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord. You know, fear is, is something that is, is present in all of our lives in, in many different forms or aspects. Um, I remember specifically as a young man growing up um, in, in religion, in Catholicism, and, and that my relationship with God was really built on, on fear. Respect, sure. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it love, but I'm sure there was love in there. But, but more than anything, it was fear of God, fear of going to hell, fear of, uh, of reprisal or, or retribution or, or whatever you want to call it. Just this, this idea that if you did bad things, bad things were going to happen to you. That's, that was Catholicism for me. I'm not saying that is what the Catholic religion is. I'm saying that's what it was for me. That is, that's how we grew up. Um, and then specifically coming from a, a Hispanic or, or Mexican culture, um, there was fear of parents. We, we were raised with, with the, uh, the right hand of God there in the house. And, and my, my parents were very, um, they were very loving. They were very open, but they were also strict. And, and when you fell out of discipline, you were quick to be reminded what it was to fall back into line. Um, many of you probably uh, either did this or experienced it as well, just the concept of, well, just wait till your father comes home, right? Um, it, it's interesting because my father never really spanked us or disciplined us in a, in a physical way. It was mostly my mother who spanked us, and, but, but it was interesting for her to say, well, just wait till your dad comes home. I don't know why I was so afraid of my dad when it was really my mom that was spanking me, now that I think about it, um, but, but it was true. You know, when my dad, when I knew that my dad was disappointed in me, he gave me that look. You know, it was just the look that he gave me that I knew I've done something wrong. And, and so there was definitely a fear. Um, I'm sure, too, you know, my, my dad is, is not a, uh, a large man, but, but he, he was physically fit. And so I knew that if I did get spanked or, or punished in some way, that it was going to hurt if it came from him. Thank you. That's okay. Thank you so much. I'm dealing with um, 
a sickness here and um, trying to get over it. And my, my throat gets very dry. So thank you, Kelly. She brought me some water. I appreciate it. Um, it's spiked. A little spike in there. Um, but, but this discipline, this fear of, of my father didn't mean that I didn't love him. Uh, obviously, I respected him, but I knew I had to stay in line. That, that fear was, was brought forth in me to remind me that if you went out of line, there was going to be reprisal. There was going to be punishment. And, and that's how you learned, in my day and age, I guess, that discipline, right? And, and it transferred over to fear of the Lord. It was the same thing. The fear that I had for my father is the fear that I had for God. So as much as I respected God, I didn't know God. I just knew that there was something out there and that if I did bad things, I was going to get into trouble. And it, it wasn't until I joined this church and, and listened to the message, uh, the evangelical message, if you will, about love and acceptance and knowing Jesus that, that really my, my mind shifted into a different focus about relationship. This, this church really taught me about relationship and partnership with the Lord. Um, but I know that even, I've, I've heard pastors in our network speak as well about growing up fearing God. So it, again, it's not, a, it's not a Catholic thing. There is a, a concept of fear in the face of God and, and what he brings. And I wanted to unpack that. I really wanted to look at what is fear of the Lord? What does it really mean when we say that in Scripture? And, and as I spoke to you a, a couple of weeks ago, the, the Hebrew language is, is just a beautiful, emotional, pictorial language. And, and each uh, letter represents a, a different um, symbol or has a different meaning and and when you put those things together they come up with a word and then that word has an application inside of that context so because of that the rich language that that this is built upon we're going to have to dive deep into it talk about some of these things so that we can really see the picture of what god is trying to show us so we'll start here uh, with the word pakad it's it's formed out of three letters, the, the P, the, the CH, and the D, um, and, and it means to be startled. You'll see it there if you want to study it. It's, it's strong 6342, uh, fear in general, to be afraid or to stand in awe. But, but the root of this word comes from the word pak, which means a sheet or a spring net, um, kind of like a, a snare. And, and so when you really look at what this means, you have to look again at each individual letter. And I have actually put that out for you on the sheets. Probably there it is on the screen. Uh, the symbols might look a little weird on the screen or whatever based on the, the font that's available on the computer. Um, but you can kind of get a general sense of it. The, the letter P, we talked about this last time too, is, is represented by the mouth. And so anytime you see this particular letter put in the Hebrew language, it, it means an entrance, an opening. It means something, um, somewhat of a beginning, uh, a command, if you will. So it's got all these different meanings, but they mean somewhat the same thing. But, but for the most part, it means an opening, right? And then you got this, the next one, the, the CH, which is a fence. It's represented by a fence, and it means to, to chamber. It's a chamber. It means to cut off. It means to protect. So when you take just those two words, those two letters, I'm sorry, together, and you form the word pach, that means snare. 
How does it mean snare? Well, you've got an opening, and then you've got a chamber that, that is meant to protect. That is what a snare is, right? So you imagine, as the Hebrews are, are creating this or writing this, that uh, a snare is something that has this, this opening and then a chamber, and, and so when they write it down, they use the mouth and they use the fence, okay? Very easy, quick to understand. You've got to know it, but, but that's how it is. When you add the dayleth to it, which, which is represented by a tent door, it means a path or of movement into or out of. So the root word for pakad, which is translated fear in English, but the root word for pakad is the word snare. When you think about what, what the Bible, what the language is trying to tell us through this, it's this. There is an opening, there is a chamber, there's this thing called a trap or a snare. It's the movement into it that causes a feeling. The path into the opening, into this chambered place, creates a feeling inside of you. That feeling is called fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of what may happen to you. When, when you go through the process of being ensnared, right, when the trap has been sprung and you're, you're stuck in there, you get a feeling of dread. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, animals, specifically, when you see them get trapped, you don't know if, if it's for the purpose of, of killing the animal. When we think of a rat trap, right, I'm, I'm trapping it because I'm going to kill it. Um, there's other traps that are humane. We, they have bigger uh, traps that are built to ensnare the animal but not to harm it. And, but at the same time, the animal doesn't know that. It knows that it's in an enclosed space. There was an opening. I moved into it, and now I'm stuck. And the feeling that comes out of that is the word that the, that the Hebrew language is trying to exemplify here. The word fear, in, when used with this word, pakad, is talking about being in a place that you don't know what's going to happen. You, you have moved into an opening, and now you're in this place that has no other exits, and you're stuck. And you don't know if you're going to live. You don't know if you're going to die. You don't know if you're going to get hurt. You don't know if something's going to attack you or if something's going to help you. You are stuck in this place of fear, dread, and trembling. That is the word pakad. And when we read it in context, we can see this. So we'll start here with Exodus chapter 15, uh, verse 15. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and pakad shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as a stone. Till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over, which thou hast purchased. This is written immediately after. This is the song of the Israelites that was written immediately after them passing over the, the Red Sea, or I guess you could call it passing under the Red Sea or through the Red Sea, right? The, the sea had been parted. Moses had, had put his staff into the water. The waters parted. There was dry land. All the Israelites start walking through, and they see behind them, what? The Egyptians roaring down, coming out to attack them. They, they get over the, uh, the sea, if you will, or through the sea, and, and then they stop on dry land again. And then the waters come crashing down, and it destroys the Egyptians. They sing this song, 
fear and Picard shall fall upon them because your great arm shall be like this stone that's crashing and, and destroying until we pass over, O Lord, until we pass over. They're singing this song because you have purchased us, God. You are the one that's redeeming us. But this fear, this dread is what other people are going to see. And it's a theme that we see in many different places. We're going to look at those places. It, it's, it's specifically used when the Lord is trying to talk about possessing the land. So we're going to read this one just to read some context, and then we'll get to the meat of, of this particular passage. This tiny little straw does nothing. I'm going just to get a little bit of water out. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 1. Then we turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And as the Lord spoke unto me, and we, we compassed Mount Seir many days. And the Lord spoke unto me, saying, you have compassed this mountain long enough. You've been traveling for 40 years enough. Turn you northward. And command thou the people, saying, you are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, and they shall be afraid, Yare, of you different word. We're going to talk about that one here in a minute. It's a different word. He said, you're going to pass through um, the, the land of Seir, which is where the children of Esau live. They're going to be afraid of you. Take you good heed unto yourselves, therefore. Meddle not with them, for I will not give you of their land. No, not so much as a footbreadth, because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau for a possession. So there is a concept of fear here, that we're going to learn about that's different than Pakat. But, but again, to read this in context, I wanted to provide this one because basically the Lord is saying to the Israelites, um, you, have, you have traveled enough. This, you've been out for 40 years. It's time. I need you now to move into the land that I wanted to give you, the, the land flowing with milk and honey, right? So he tells them, go. But when you go, be careful because you're going to pass through this land that belongs to Esau this is not your land, okay? Can't have it. Don't touch it. In fact, when you go through there, you're going to buy stuff, and you're going to pay for it. The Bible says a little bit later in verse 7 and 8, you're going to pay for it with money. You're not going to take their stuff. You're going to buy the stuff that you need. Even though you're cousins, even though you're friends, you're going to treat these people with respect because they fear you. But it's a different kind of fear. We're going to learn about that fear here in a minute. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 24. So they go along. He continues to tell them all this stuff. And we get to where we're trying to go, which is this. Rise up, take your journey, and pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hand Sihon, the Amorite king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. This day will I begin to put the dread, the pakad of thee, and the fear, the yirah, which we'll talk about here in a minute, of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven. Who shall hear report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of what you are going to do? So he tells the children of Israel that I'm giving you this land, uh, the Sihon, it belongs to the king of Heshbon, an Amorite. 
You're going to possess the land, and from this day forward, I'm going to put that pacad on you. Everybody is going to feel, when they see you, this dread. They're going to feel like they're trapped. They're going to feel like they're in some sort of snare that they can't get out of. That's the word fear used here in this context. Let's look at another one. 1 Samuel 11. Then came the messengers to Gibeah of Saul. Let me stop there. Just a bit of context real quick. So, the, so Israel is now in a place, obviously way, way later, but, but Israel is now in a place where they're scattered abroad and there's different, different functions around everywhere, different tribes. And, and one particular tribe gets taken over by uh, a bad hombre. A king comes over and he starts to... He starts to really push back on them, and, and he goes to them, and he says, look, we're going to beat you up. It's just going to happen. So if you want to come out of your city and, and, and make a covenant, we can talk about it. And the, the, the Israelites come out, and they say, yeah, yeah, let's, let's make a covenant. He goes, okay, here's the covenant. I'm going to poke out your right eye, and you guys are going to serve me. That's how this is going to work. And they're like, ah, oh, man, that's awful. I'm, I'm kind of fond of my right eye. And... and everybody's right eye, by the way, not just one guy, everybody. I'm going to poke out all your right eyes. And they're like, okay, well, let's give us, give us seven days. This is weird, by the way, but it's the Bible. He says, they say, give us seven days, seven days to build an army, to call out our friends. And if, if that doesn't happen in seven days, then yeah, okay, we'll, everybody will come out, we'll line up, you'll poke out our eye, and we'll, we'll serve you for the rest of our lives. And, and the king says, okay. He says, all right, go do that. So they send out messengers, and the messengers go to all the lands, and they say, hey, these people are in trouble in, in Jabesh. They're, they're in trouble. They need some help. Um, you know, can you send some people? And that's where we come in here. And then came messengers to Gibeah of Saul and told the tidings in the ears of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. This is so sad. And behold, Saul came out after the herd out of the field, and Saul said, why? Are the people crying? What ails the people that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul. He was so angry in this righteousness when he heard these tidings. And his anger was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coasts of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whosoever comes not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. He was like the first mafia guy, if you really think about it. The first mafioso. He took a, a, a yoke of oxen, two oxen, and he, he just cut them in pieces. He, he massacred them, broke them in, in half, in quarters, in eights. He just took pieces and he was ripping them off. And he mailed them, mailed them to all the different tribes of Israel that were, that were scattered abroad. And he said, I will do to your oxen what I have done to these two if you don't come and follow me. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. That's what he did. He made them an offer they couldn't refuse. He said, I'm going to do to your oxen what I did right here if you don't come and follow me in Samuel. And the pacad of the Lord fell upon the people. 
and they came out with one consent. I mean, it worked. He said, if you don't come, I'm going to do this. They felt what? They felt like they went through an opening, were now trapped in a snare, and there was nothing they could do about it. That's the feeling that these people had. That's the Picard. And they came out with one consent, and when he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. So he had 330,000 people on his side. And they said unto the messengers that came, Thus shall you say unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by that time, the sun be hot, you shall have help. And the messengers came and showed it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. And guess what? You read a little bit further on, they win the battle. But Saul had, had this, this gall about him and, and the, the righteousness anger of the Lord. And he said, if you don't come, I'm going to do this. And Picard came upon them. That's what this word means. It's, it's represented here too. We'll read these quickly. Second Chronicles 20, 29. And the fear of God, the Picard of God, was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. Second Chronicles 17.10. And the Picard of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were round about Judah, so that they made no war against Jehoshaphat. The Picard of the God, the, the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, the Picard was fear that you are in a place that you cannot get out of and you don't know what to do. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So when we understand the word Picard, and we just read it in English, we think, well, there it is. If I'm reverent, if I'm afraid of God and worried about his, his reprisal and the retribution that's going to come, if I'm, if I'm in this snare and recognize that there's nothing I can do like a caged animal, that's when wisdom comes. That's the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Except it's a different word. It's not pakad. This is the word yarat. And it comes from the root yerach, which means something else. We're, we're going to unpack this one just like we did pakad. Um, before we get too far into it, well, let's, let's go a little bit into it, and then we'll go a little bit further down. So it comes from four symbols in the Hebrew language, the yod, the resh, the aleph, and the chech. The yod represents the hand. It, it means a mighty work. So whenever this symbol comes out, it's talking about action. It's talking about um, a, perhaps a miracle. It's talking about something being accomplished or done. It's a mighty deed or, or to work. The word reish, uh, the letter reish, the symbol, is represented by the head. And, and so when it's talking about anything, it means the prince, the master, the, the chief. What is the highest? The, the most authoritative thing you can think about, that's what it is. Aleph, the, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, is represented by the ox. It means leader because it's the first or what is first. It, it represents strength. It represents teaching. Um, all those things that come before, that's what Aleph means. And then the outstretched arms or the hech means to reveal. Um, when, when you look at this symbol, 
in, in, in the Phoenician before you get to the, the post-Babylonian. I know it's getting real academic in here. But, but when you look at it, it, the symbol literally looks like a, a stick figure with his arms going straight up in the air like this. Okay? Because it means that you're being revealed uh, into something or being shown something or beholding something. Right? So when you unpack this word, the word yerach literally means a mighty deed from a master who is leading or teaching you through revelation. That is what this word for fear means. That there is something uh, expository happening. It's, it's, it's exposing something. It's revealing something. And it's something that needs to be taught or learned. And it's coming from the highest authority. That's the type of fear that this word means. Fear was never meant to cripple. This one was never meant to cripple but to expose unbelief, to expose ignorance. You know, we, we, we are afraid of a lot of different things in our lives. Spiders, snakes, clowns, milk. I mean, there's all sorts of things that people are afraid of. Fear of heights. Um, I, I always tell my family, people, that I, I'm really not afraid of anything uh, except the one thing. There is one thing that I, I have to admit I'm afraid of, um, and that's being mauled by an animal. I'm, I'm not afraid of snakes, not afraid of bugs or anything like that. I'm glad my girls aren't either. Um, but, but fear comes a lot of times from experience. And, and as a child, um, my, wife, my wife loves and hates this. Um, as a child, I was desensitized to fear. My parents let us watch every crappy thing you can think of on TV and in movies. We were watching Friday the 13th and Freddy Krueger and Mike Myers and the Gremlins and all the great horror movies of the 1980s. That's what we were watching. And, and if it were my kids, obviously they would not have been watching those things. My, my parents just didn't care, didn't have the wherewithal. Maybe they were too busy. I don't know. They hadn't seen them. It's just they had just come out. So they probably know how bad they were. Let me tell you, they were bad. They were bad, and, and I was watching them. And, and through this, I became desensitized to this concept of, of the monster. You know, the, the awful thing about the movie industry and, and the, the monster movie industry in particular is, is that really it's trying to engender this fear in you because if you look at the ending of all these movies, there really is no resolution. The bad guy gets defeated at the end, but he always comes back. There is no closure or resolution to those movies on purpose because they want you to be afraid. You know, the, 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 the fear industry actually comes out of the entertainment industry. It's, it's designed to engage you constantly, to, to promote the, the lifting of endorphins, to get you um, anxious, anticipatory, to get you into a place of, of heightened sensory perception, because it, it actually releases chemical compounds in your body. It's designed to do that, and if it does it once, it needs to do it again in order for you to come back, right? So it needs to keep you scared. The whole point of these movies is to say, look, there's scary stuff out there, and even if you win, it's coming back to get you. That's what the horror industry is all about. As a child, I was watching it and watching it and watching it and watching it. Slowly became desensitized to this concept. The thing that scares me is 
being unable to control what an animal does. There's no rationale to them. We're walking down the street one day as a family. Uh, we were coming out of Boy Scouts or something like that. And, and so I was with my brother and sister. Marco hadn't been born yet. Um, my mom is there and, and me. We're walking down the street. And, and I'm, I'm excited. Something I guess we had just had fun you know, at Boy Scouts. I had learned something. I don't know. And, and so we're walking down. It is pitch black everywhere. Um, there's dogs barking everywhere. And, and um, it was around October. So it was somewhat chilly. And obviously Halloween is coming up. And, and so I, I'm going around. Ghostbusters had just come out. And I'm singing, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. And, and I'm saying all this stuff. And all of a sudden, this dog just comes running out. And just comes at me. And I ran. And I screamed like a little girl. I didn't know it was a little dog, by the way, at the time. Um, but I screamed. I, I, it didn't matter for that, what is, that it was a little dog. I was so scared of this thing because I thought it was going to attack me and eat me and tear me up and destroy me. And, and I have been afraid of that type of encounter ever since. I'm not afraid of heights. I'm not afraid of, of standing up for myself or anything like that. That, for some reason, scares me. I was walking down, this is a different story, by the way, unrelated. I don't know why I'm saying it. I was walking down that street right over there uh, across the Vickery lot, and then a squirrel threw an acorn at my head. I'm just walking, and this acorn lands on me, and there's a squirrel up there looking at me like, yeah, it was me. I'm telling you, animals are, are just a different kind of thing. But fear... Fear comes upon us, and it's actually okay because it, it keeps us alive. It keeps us alert. If we didn't have fear, then we would just go off and do stupid things, and we would hurt ourselves. You know, there are people that have a, a condition, I, I don't know what it's called, um, where, where they will bleed and keep bleeding, right? Um, hemophilia. Thank you where they will bleed and just keep bleeding. And there is an, another condition where they don't, some people don't feel pain. They feel really, literally no pain at all. When you combine those two, it is one of the most dangerous things to have in your life because you could be hurt. And, and I, I, was, I was reading an article about a person who had this. They say they, they wake up every morning and, and every, about every hour they check their body to see if there's any damage to it. Because they, they don't know it otherwise. I mean, you think about it. Um, my, my children are crying all the time because they're, they're fearless. And so they're stubbing toes and hitting elbows. And all of a sudden, you hear this. Someone's knocked their head on a table. I mean, it's just happening constantly at our house. But they'll run to us crying because they feel that pain, right? There's people who don't feel pain. And they have to check themselves. Hey, yep, still working. No cuts or bruises there. Fear builds that inside of us. We get to an age where we recognize, man, if I, if I do that, I'm going to get hurt. And if I get hurt, I've got to deal with this and pay for that and insurance this. Fear is a good thing in our lives. The pakad was built for a purpose. The yira was also built for a purpose. But it's a different type of fear. It is a mighty deed 
from the leader, the master, teaching us through revelation. It actually comes from a root word. Excuse me. Let's look at this root word. It's Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. The word see is the word ra'ach, which is the root word of yirach. The, the reish, the aleph, and the heh. So those three symbols there at the back end of this chart are the word see, this great sight. Why the bush was not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, 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 Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off your feet, for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the Lord, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was Yerach to look upon God. So Moses saw and then was afraid. He saw Ra'ah, and then he was Yichra'ah. What, what we understand from this context here is that the word afraid has revelation as part of it. When you see a mighty deed comes upon you for, for teaching, for understanding, for taking you to a new place, that is the purpose of this type of here. When we talk about paka, that fear brings dread. I'm in a snare. I'm in a trap. I can't do anything about it. This type of fear is there's something coming that I need you to pay attention to. Pay attention. It's coming. That's what this fear means. Where paka is, is this acknowledgement of what has happened or could happen, Yura is the revelation of that this work is being done by the leader for the purpose of instruction. And, and a good example of that for me is Acts chapter 28. So obviously New Testament, these words won't show up in here, but, but I thought of this story because we were talking about snakes and spiders a second ago. Acts chapter 28, and when they were escaped, this is Paul shipwrecked on the island of Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, they kindled a fire and received us, every one, because of the rain and because of the cold. And Paul goes out, and he gathers a bundle of sticks, and he lays them out in a fire. And, and because he had gathered these sticks, it was a, there was a, a snake in there, a viper, keeping itself warm, which he didn't know about. And, and it came out when they turned on the fire, right? They hit the switch, fire turns on like in the fireplace, and, and the snake says, whoa, 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 getting way too hot in here. And he comes out, and he fastened on his hand in verse 3, verse 4. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer. 
whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffers not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. I imagine Paul here gathering the, the bundle of wood, helping out, putting the, the wood in the, in the pile, sitting down, using flint or a Zippo lighter to light the fire. And, and as he's sitting there warming himself, this viper comes out and it just latches onto him. It, it bites. It, it's scared. It has pacad in it. It was in a snare, and it needs to get out of it. So it has the, the fight-or-flight reflex. It comes out biting, and it bites Paul. And Paul, bitten by this thing, shakes it off, and then does what? He sits down. He just waits. The Bible doesn't say that, that he was running around, I'm going to die. We watched uh, Home Alone the other day with the girls. They love that movie. And I, so I don't imagine Paul doing the, the Macaulay Culkin as he's running around with this snake bite on his hand. He's just, ah, oh, man, that, that's unfortunate. And he goes and sits down. And, and these people are waiting for him. They're waiting for him to die. They're like, oh, man, he's going to get it. His hand's going to swell up. His face is going to puff up. He's going to start, he's going to fall on the floor choking. He's going to get paralyzed. He's going to start turning green or purple. He's going to start to, to bleed profusely from this thing. They don't know. They're just watching and waiting, thinking, man, that dude's got, something's got it out for that guy right there. Paul just sits there, unafraid. Why? Because he understood the Yerach. I'm, I'm going to show you something, Paul. I'm going to show you something. I want you, to, I want you to learn what it is to be my partner and my son. He didn't learn it here. Let's be very clear about that. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. When did he learn it? When did he learn it? Throughout, throughout all of Acts, he's learning this thing. When, when Jesus appears to him and, and he's blinded, and, and then he goes and, and he gets healed and the scales fall off, and, and he's performing miracle after miracle, and he's studying, and he's learning, and he's growing. He's, he's running hard after God, running hard after him. And then he gets to this place where I, I don't even have to be worried. Look, oh, man, I got bit. Oh, well, either I'm going to die because you want me back home, or I'm going to live because you've got work for me to do. Either way, Lord, it's up to you. You do whatever it is that you want. I, I live under the yirah of the Lord, that type of fear of let's see what's going to happen. That is what Paul is experiencing here. It's interesting when you go into the Hebrew of Paul's um, transformation. The, the, the S, the sh sound that Paul removed from, from his name, Saul of Tarsus, actually means destroyer. The L, the lamech, in the, the last part of his name, S, Lamed, Saul, or P, Lamed, Paul, mean two different things. Did you know that? Paul and Saul, they mean two different things. Saul means destroyer of the flock. S, all, 
destroyer flock. You know what Paul means? Mouth. Mouth for the flock. That's why he changed his name. That's why he changed. That's why God changed his name. Because I want you to be my mouthpiece, Paul. I want you to be my partner in this. And I want you to lead my people. Saul changed his name to Paul because he had the Yerach of the Lord. A fear, a respect, a love for the Father. The interesting thing about all this, there's even more interesting things, is that the word Yerach is actually different when it's a noun and placed with another noun. When, when it's done this way, grammatically, you actually drop the H from the Hebrew nomenclature here, and you add a T, the, the Tav. So I have added that chart for you to see it. It changes the meaning slightly, but, but more importantly, it changes the context of what it's talking about. This passage is not saying that the fear that you have of God, it's saying that the fear belongs to God. Not our fear of God, but God's fear. If we read it that way, God's fear is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Yod, Rayesh, Aleph, Tav. Tav is represented by the symbol, the cross, and it means ownership. It means covenant. It means the last. It's the last symbol of the Hebrew alphabet. This then retranslates that sentence that we read. A mighty deed from the master or leader teaching us through covenant partnership. That's what the yirat means. Read it in this context, Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord, the Yerat Yahweh, is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. This, this is not about us fearing God so we will fear or hate evil. It is when you are in partnership with God, when you allow his Yerat to come upon you and there's a covenant between you and God, that, that fear hates evil, and you partner with it against pride, arrogancy, and the evil way. Proverbs 14, the fear of the Lord, the Yerat Yahweh, is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Let's look at another one, Isaiah chapter 11. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. You should all recognize this this passage and talking about Jesus. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, the Yerat Yahweh. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. What is this talking about? Jesus, again, in partnership, covenant partnership, with God to perform mighty deeds that you are going to look upon and you're going to learn and you're going to incorporate into your life. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of thee but to fear the Lord? Yireh, 
Yahweh Elohim, thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. What fear has taken over you? Which one are you walking in today? Are we succumbing to the pakah that this world tries to encroach upon us, to try to ensnare in us? Or are you walking in the yerech, the, the, the partnership, the covenant that God, the revelation that God wants to show you day in and day out? That's the type of fear and awe and respect that the Lord wants from you. Not, not this, this concept of you're going to do, if you do bad things, God's going to destroy you. But hey, let me, let me show you the good things. Let me show you the way that I want you to be. Partner with me on that. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's when you begin to understand and, 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 and see holiness and knowledge comes upon you. Don't, don't worry about being afraid of God, but be in partnership with him and let him take you to new heights. And Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you want to partner with us. We thank you for your spirit that it's in this place and that follows us as we go out uh, into the various nations. Lord, we pray that as, as more and more people begin to learn of, about partnership with you, that you will grow them in grace, that you will promote them to a new place, that you will, that you will bring them up, Father. Help us to learn about the, your Yerach and how we can grow that inside of ourselves. Lord, we just submit our will to you. Let us be like Paul, who walked in your ways, who was not afraid to do what you have asked him to do, but moved forward, Lord, in miracles, in mighty deeds. We submit ourselves to you today. We thank you. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Hopefully this, this sheet will give you something to study uh, at home. And um, next time I speak, I'll probably, there's, there's more words for fear, so we'll probably look into some of those. But uh, until then, God bless you. Have a great rest of the day. We'll see you tonight.